Welcome to Metacosm, a new podcast from Metatron Press that features long-form, in-depth conversations with poets and writers. In this series, we dive into writers' psyches and try to understand what draws people to this ancient art form, exploring and defining what impulses and experiences drive their practice. Curated and hosted by Metatron author and editor Brad Casey, Metacosm carves out a sonic space for intimate understandings of what it means in contemporary times to write. Hey, what's up? So in this episode, I'm talking to Shari Dale, who's a writer from British Columbia. Uh, I came across Shari because... Shari had submitted her manuscript, Parasocial Butterfly, to Metatron, and last year um, I was helping to choose the manuscripts that we were going to publish for uh, uh, 2022, and Shari's was the book that stood out the most to me. Um, Luckily, I was able to uh, not only help and choose it to be published, but also um, to edit the book. So uh, I worked pretty closely with Shari to get this book completed and finished and put out. So it was really nice to catch up with her and uh, talk about the book. Um, Parasocial Butterfly is uh, basically about a woman who is, uh, she works in a restaurant and she doesn't really like her life. She's kind of bored in her life. And so she inserts a projector into her brain in order to live in the digital world. So she becomes an avatar and throughout the book there's a lot of blurring of the lines between uh, the physical world and the digital world and anyway uh, it's a great book of poetry that I love and anyway in this conversation we talk for about an hour about uh, Shari is a copywriter so we talk a little bit about her work and how that influences her poetry Um, we talk about uh, going through a creative writing degree we talk about persona Uh, social media is a big topic we cover because that plays such a big role in her book Um, we also talk about the difference between the physical and the digital world and how those lines can be blurred um, as well as uh, being on the early internet, being in chat rooms, um, being self-critical. Uh, we talk about reality TV, and also just we talk about her life living in rural BC um, and what she's doing there and what she's working on. So anyway, I won't take up too much time. Um, we'll just get right into the interview. So hope you enjoy it. This is me talking with Shari Dale, author of Parasocial Butterfly. Enjoy.
mostly writing um, lead generating quizzes. So right. we write like, I don't know, just like very random quizzes for businesses about, I don't know, I'm like working on one right now that's like, what's your renovator personality type kind of thing? And then just give them a bunch of information about renovating. Okay. Or whatever their business is. <laughs> so like those quizzes, what do, what do those quizzes do for those companies? They're basically like a way for them to attract like potential customers mm -hmm. um, that they can then add to their email list and like sell products or I don't know. A lot of our people are like online course um, providers, question mark. Um, yeah. So how long have you been doing that? It's been like two years. Okay. <laughs> I've written a lot of quizzes. <laughs> um, pretty much anything that you can imagine. I used to do ones that were like, what's your like soul lipstick color? Hmm. Um, I don't know what perfume suits your personality kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you doing that when you were writing Parasocial Butterfly? Yeah, actually, I was doing it. Well, I started writing Parasocial Butterfly a long time before, but while I was like kind of editing the collection and like bringing it into like one kind of entity, I was like writing a lot of quizzes. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but like, I guess I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but that work that you do copywriting and making quizzes, how much did that play into your writing? Um, I mean, I feel like it's kind of huge and it still does like a lot, just like not even just with like quizzes, but like doing a lot of the research we have to do for like writing them and like seeing how like these different brands communicate with their like audience and just the kind of like super like exaggerated language that is often used like very kind of like over the top like promising that you'll be able to like live your dream life and I don't know all these kind of funny cliches you see in marketing a lot right yeah that's kind of like the world that I live in online a lot of the time so right yeah I feel like it came through even some of the stuff like just like weird like syntactical things that I use in like copywriting I, I started seeing them like popping up throughout the book and I was like wow like marketing has really like broken into my subconscious like brain chamber <laughs> it's just like coloring but, everything I do but yeah I mean the work you make just in general I think the work you make is always informed by your environment and the things that you're taking in and the things that all of those things that you take in are being pushed back out into your work right yeah totally it's kind of like a way of processing everything that I'm seeing in some ways mm -hmm. just like trying to turn it into something that I see value in I guess yeah, yeah. and again I again I don't want to I didn't want to get too ahead of ourselves yeah. we just for the sake of anyone listening can you 
describe what parasocial butterfly is all about? Yeah, I mean, I feel like every time I try to like sum it up, it ends up sounding like crazy, <laughs> but um, it's basically like a collection of poems about um, an aspiring influencer who gets really sick of her job waitressing and develops this like little like micro projector situation that she installs into her mind to live in kind of her own world mm-hmm. yeah and what happens um I don't know I mean it's it's like she just kind of explores it and lives in it and I definitely feel like there was like there's a bit of a disillusionment that happens throughout um yeah Mm -hmm. when did you okay so let's all that said let's go right back to uh like the start and talk about some of the more um I don't know like concrete aspects of this when did you when did you start writing this were you in school when you were writing parasocial butterfly yeah, I actually, I what think I started you, writing. You went to? Yeah, I went to UBC Okanagan. So I was doing an undergraduate degree in English and creative writing. And yeah, I believe it was like the summer before my fourth year where I started kind of experimenting a bit more. A lot of the poems that we wrote in school were more like, I don't know, they felt more like, I don't know what a traditional narrative poem or a traditional uh, lyrical poem looks like, but it felt like that's what we were supposed to do. I don't know. Um, Yeah. And then I'd say like, by the time I was coming to the end of my degree, I was kind of like, oh, I like wonder what else I can do with poetry. And I was like, reading all these other books um, that were kind of like testing boundaries and were so kind of invested in I guess like persona and in just like style and it felt so different from like what I'd seen before that I was like okay this is like very interesting and then I guess kind of naturally my work started like following that a bit more what books are you thinking of when you say that um probably like the biggest ones that comes to mind are like anything that Chelsea Minnis has written um, she's like persona queen, <laughs> but also like love like uh, Lisa Robertson and uh, May Bersenberg. I always say her last name wrong, but um, I don't know. Just like strange, <laughs> strange. I mean, it seems strange to me at the time. Now it's a little bit more like okay, like there's like kind of a. Piece of poetry that sounds like this or that can sound like this. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of dumbstruck that like you could even write something that wasn't like, I don't know, lines like left aligned on the page and that followed kind of, I don't know, like a linear feeling development. Even though I feel like some of the poems in Parasocial Butterfly are kind of built on more of like a traditional structure but yeah I don't know it just kind of like opened doors reading different things yeah what was it that appealed to you about reading work that explored persona do you think well I think part of it was I was like 
I finally don't have to write about my own like issues and like I don't know sometimes with like the poems I was writing earlier on with my like poetry was like very I don't know it felt almost like self-pitying in some ways or like making more of something where I didn't like actually think there was more of something there like I don't totally know how to describe it but yeah so it felt like I can do something like other than that and like yeah I guess like create more (laughs) because I didn't have to have things like grounded in reality I could just like build from nothing kind of if that makes sense (laughs) Yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah and then also there was just like this attitude to it like it was just very like I don't give a fuck I'm gonna like say what I want to say and say it how I want to say it (laughs) I really liked that too it was like new for me so you started writing these poems in your fourth year yeah how were they how were they received by when you were in the program Um, I think of all the poems in the book, I only submitted one poem to a workshop in university. And it was like, I don't know, it was weird (laughs) because it was so different from other things I'd written. I don't remember anybody saying anything Mm -hmm. like bad about it. But yeah, it was funny because like when you submit something that's like not kind of like the like status quo or whatever and like your poetry workshop people like don't always know how to critique it or how to like respond to it Mm -hmm. um and so I kind of felt like I'd like submit a poem and it would just be like okay this is like this is interesting this is like good Mm -hmm. um but there wasn't like much kind of digging into it. Like it was like, people didn't really know how to interact with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe this is more of a personal question uh, for me because I've never, I only took a couple of like creative writing classes in university. I didn't go through a creative writing program, um, but I don't really feel like it's something that would be nurturing for me. I don't feel like it would be something for me. Uh, I'm wondering, was your, did you enjoy your program? Was it for you? Yeah. Um, I like, I did enjoy parts of it. Um, there were some workshops I really liked, but I mean, part of doing a creative writing degree is you have to take like all these classes, like just mandatory classes and things that like, you know, weren't, aren't really my jam. Like I kind of knew like a year into it that I was like, by far the most interested in poetry and then you kind of have to go through like all these different like classes like I had to do ones in like screenwriting and like Mm. I don't know short fiction like writing for like digital mediums like kind of stuff like that and that I didn't really know how to like navigate those classes and I always just kind of felt like I was like bullshitting my way through it um Yeah. And then the poetry workshops themselves, um, they, I really liked them in the beginning, but I felt like the longer that I was in university, 
the more I just felt like, I don't know, like people weren't really getting what I was like trying to say in class or like, yeah, I mean, it can be definitely like a very isolating experience, ironically, being in like a poetry workshop because you'll, you know, go in with this like conception of the thing that you've made and then people just don't really like get it. I don't want to be that person who's like, nobody gets my writing. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that's a pretty common experience in workshops. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And maybe the, maybe one of the flaws is just that you only get to submit one or two poems as opposed mm -hmm. to like a whole collection. So then, you know, maybe people don't really get like the style that you're going for overall. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they don't really get to see it in context of yeah, like yeah. other things, like the poems with like parasocial butterfly, like all of them feel, I don't know, like pretty reliant on the other poems in the book to make sense of them. And so that's another thing too, is if you're just, you know, reading like one poem from like a series, it's like, I don't know. It's like, what is this? Like, what is this person trying to do here? <laughs> Well, one, so one funny thing about uh, doing this interview is that uh, I have I have become very close to your work, just for the, again, sake of the audience to hear it, uh, mm -hmm. like working with Metatron, um, reading manuscripts. This was the, when we got together to talk about what manuscripts we wanted to publish, this was the one that stood out to me and I ended up editing it as well. So I have a pretty close relationship to the work and I got to see like all of it within context. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll tell you my, the, I think the poem that sold me on this whole thing was uh, it's called so proud to have released my 26th perfume. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is like, uh, it's about Paris Hilton releasing her 26th perfume. And it's almost like a bunch of comments underneath, almost like if it was an Instagram post and there's a bunch of comments underneath saying, congratulations, we love you, Paris, but also saying like, why aren't you speaking up about what the police are doing right now? As if, you know, those two things are connected like celebrity and social justice and mm -hmm. Paris Hilton releasing her 26th perfume has anything to do with what's happening in the world. Um, uh, I don't know if I even have a question about this, just that that one stood out to me. I guess if I do have a question, it's so a lot of these poems, um, for the most part, this whole collection is about, uh, is heavily reliant on like online, mm -hmm. like online persona. You want to yeah. speak to like that aspect of it? Just, how online all of these poems are? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this collection is like, I don't know, it's like, <laughs> the only word that's coming to mind is like, it's like the juice of like all of my like just digital interactions for like a year in my <laughs> life. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably like not a helpful way to put it at all, but yeah, I mean, it feels like it's kind of the, like, just detritus of everything I saw. And, like, generally in, like, the digital world, I kind of feel like a fly on the wall, just sort of, like, observing 
the weird kind of like juxtaposition of things and yeah just kind of at once deeply like excited and kind of energized by it and at the same time like terrified and kind of skeptical and just like yeah I don't know I feel like there's a lot of that in the book too of just kind of like trying to decide like how I feel about living in such like a digital world because it's not really something that I guess I see as separate anymore from like the like quote-unquote real world or whatever Mm -hmm. um yeah I mean my whole life is online so Mm -hmm. yeah because there is a real the whole book is fighting between these two concepts of the real and the digital uh -hmm. like the physical and digital and or the real versus the fantasy um and in the end I think in the end kind of coming to this conclusion that there is no Maybe not that there was no difference, but the lines are very blurred. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like the more I wrote it, I just felt like it was such kind of a, like a detrimental like line to draw between like what is digital and what is like real because it like, for me at least, I feel like what is digital is just as important to me as what is like real. And if I live my life, through my computer like who's to say that's any less like valuable than a life lived like out in the real world I don't know um yeah (laughs) yeah where does that line blur between the real and the digital or the physical and the digital yeah I don't know I still don't know but um yeah I don't know like I hear a lot of the time people saying like oh like whatever that's not real you're just like online like blah 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 blah. and to me I just yeah I always feel like that's like a silly thing to say I don't know (laughs) sorry I'm not very like eloquent about it but not at all why is it so silly to you well it just like it seems naive in a way um, that people would like think there's some kind of like separation between them and also kind of like like value the real world more than the digital even though the digital like guides so much of our lives and yeah I don't know I have like a weird amount of kind of empathy for my computer (laughs) and like all that it it brings me like I I feel like uh, I definitely am guilty of anthropomorphizing a lot of my devices Mm -hmm. because I guess um, and I see I guess I see the argument that you know you create an avatar and you create a life around that avatar and you are interacting with other people and having experiences and how is that so different from uh living each day in the world and creating your own life and interacting with people because you know machines are created by people and they are navigated by people 
So it is in a way interacting with other people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I grew up using like, I don't know if you're familiar with IMBU. IMBO? IMVU. It's like kind of like, it was like a knockoff second life kind of situation that was like popular in like the early 2000s where you like yeah you like make an avatar and it's like one of these kind of like 3d chat room situations Mm. and I remember like I don't know I was probably on the internet at like a way too early age but I'd be like in these like online chat rooms like talking to people when I was like 11 years old telling everyone I was like 22 and in college and stuff like that and I just like remember like I don't know I mean obviously it's like so far detached from like the like reality of the situation but there's like a freedom that comes with that too and just like the possibility of like being someone who you don't feel like inside I don't know I don't necessarily think that's like always such a bad thing but Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not pro catfishing people, but <laughs> this is yeah. permission to catfish. Now that you mentioned that, I do. I remember doing that as a kid too, like being, geez, how old was I? Like maybe 14, 15 and going on uh, chat rooms and telling people that I was older and feeling, I guess it was because, you know, I was a kid living in a very small town and that I didn't like, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I belonged there. And it was so interesting to me to like be able to talk to people from around the world, but I didn't feel like I had anything to offer unless I was like 22 and going to university or whatever, Yeah, which is like, which seems like the oldest a person can be when you're like 11, 13 years old. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I remember I used to tell people I was a psychology major and I consistently spelled psychology wrong. And so I'd get constantly called on it and be like, you're not 22, are you? <laughs> like, yeah, I am. <laughs> one of the, and this is something that I remember just a couple of years ago. And it's one of the, one of the strangest things from my life for me is when I was like, yeah, 15 or so being, do you remember ICQ? Was no. That, did you not have that? That was maybe I'm, uh, I'm just older. ICQ was sort of like, I guess MSN Messenger was something that people did that was similar, but ICQ was just this like uh, chat platform that was sort of like on the side of the screen, just like a little block and it had all of your friends' names and you could talk to them. And then there was this feature where you could talk to random people. And so uh, I started, you know, random people would always sort of chat with you. And there was this one girl who lived in, I think, the Barbados who I would talk to all the time who like added me and she would always tell me about like problems with her friends and problems with her boyfriend and we had like we really talked about our shit because I again I didn't like where I was growing up so I told her shit too and like that person just exists in the world now and all of that that chat log is somewhere on the internet and I have no idea who that person is I would never recognize them if I walked past them but they were almost like a therapist for me when I was like 15 years old. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's gone. It's just, it, they only exist as an avatar to me. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, I feel too, like some of the most kind of important relationships in my life have been just through these like online spaces and just there's something like so like strange about like digital relationships just in that like you can say what you like really like mean or like you can like say what's like actually going on because there isn't like anything to lose a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um so it allows for that kind of like vulnerability that at least as a kid I definitely you know didn't have the ability to have but um yeah I don't know I mean I feel like I'm very grateful for having like access to the internet and like living in this time but yeah a lot of people maybe a lot of like older, older people, maybe I spend too much time with my parents. So I just think that other people don't like the internet as much, but. (laughs) Well, one funny thing about the protagonist in Parasocial Butterfly who shares your name uh, is that how much of that is, okay, there's a easy question. How much of that is you and how much of that is uh, created? How much of yourself do you see yourself? How much of yourself do you see in the protagonist of Parasocial Butterfly? Um, I would say like a lot early on in the book. Like um, when I did start writing it, I was working as a waitress at this like, yeah, very trendy kind of vegan spot. And I remember just like watching people come in and like, just being so jealous of money (laughs) just like I don't know I constantly be like oh like I wish I had like a nicer lifestyle it was like constant like discomfort and yeah definitely like that kind of like oh I want so badly to have like something else that's very real and then like further on you know I haven't experienced really anything that happens in the book or I mean I guess I shouldn't say that there are some things but like what like I've gone through is so deeply buried in like I guess like the more imagined parts of the book that it's it's almost like not there or not present but it's definitely all grounded on like very real like emotions and yeah I mean I guess working in like marketing too like there's like such a saturation of like all these like promises and you know people like telling you that like your life can be like better you can have more like you can like live this kind of like very luxurious existence and like after seeing it so many times it's just like this is not true (laughs) like this feels so like just like fake and exhausting to even like read um and I feel like that comes through more towards the end of the book where it's just like I felt like a sense of kind of like resignment like writing it where it's just like okay like this is all kind of a lie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, because the world, I found that really interesting too about this is that the protagonist creates this idealized world for herself and but she's still subject to so much criticism even though this is this is a world she created so why would she create all of these like i guess haters there's like people really trying to tear her down and like um yeah it does in the end sort of become just a facade right yeah well i sort of i felt like a lot of the kind of negative attention that like she would get throughout like the book was kind of like things that she thought about herself like filtering into this like world and then not being able to like escape from that kind of negativity and yeah mm. i don't know <laughs> no totally like i uh Again, something that I found really interesting and sort of refreshing was how it approached uh, the idea of like self-hate. And mm -hmm. because, yeah, the character is, again, living in a world of her own creation, but still experiencing all of this hatred all around her. And it, it's written in a way that makes it seem almost silly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like... I wanted to kind of make a caricature of some of the like things that I was like seeing and like particularly like, I don't know, there's one poem in there. I, what is it? Lullaby for little haters. Like yeah. that one was composed of um, a bunch of comments from, oh my God, do you remember the like Khloe Kardashian picture where everybody said that she had photoshopped her like face onto somebody else's body or something no I okay don't. that's just me <laughs> oh my god I was like talking to a friend last night at dinner about how I like basically like what well, this is very off topic but like while I'm like copywriting I watch reality or I, I don't watch it but I play reality tv in the background like all day every day I've watched like every like housewives franchise and i feel like all of this just like reality tv knowledge is like baked into me after this time but um yeah it was a moment in instagram <laughs> um, but yeah so basically all those comments came from there and i just like just felt they were so like ridiculous and I don't know. I mean, at the same time, like very vicious and it's like, you don't know whether you should like laugh at them or like, you know, hide from them or what your reaction should be. Like mm -hmm. people always talk about, Oh, I'll just like ignore the haters or whatever. But I mean, like if you're like a celebrity and there was like, you know, hundreds of thousands of comments being like, oh my God, like, where'd you get your face from? Like, it looks like somebody stitched your face onto your body. Like some of them were really fucked up. And I was just like, oh my God, like I, I would not be able to deal with that, but luckily no. I'm not famous. <laughs> no, same. I wouldn't, I don't know. Part of me doesn't understand why anyone would strive toward fame because I like, I could never exist under that kind of pressure. 
Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's really interesting to read about. There's like a whole, um, I guess, like section of like scholarly thought, I don't know how to describe this, but about like celebrity studies. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like people kind of thinking and writing about like what is celebrity? What does it mean to be like, you know, in the public and in the private and have to like separate those two things and draw like a distinct like line between who you really are and who people think you are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was like really interesting. And just like the pressure of having to like do that and also having to come up with like a self that people actually want to see. It's mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I've been watching the have, have you seen any of the new Kardashian series on Hulu? No. No, it's I don't really, I don't I don't really watch uh, uh reality TV. Well, if you need recommendations, I have like 25 shows. <laughs> no, but um Yeah, it's just like super crazy, like seeing how entitled people feel to kind of enter their lives. Like, you know, people treat celebrities like that, like they're like public property and like completely accessible at all times. And like, I say that, but at the same time, like I've done that too. Like, I've like, I don't know, like, I feel like there've definitely been like celebrities in the past where I'm just like, I need to like tell somebody something. So I like go to Instagram and like send a message, like spilling my guts to like some random celebrity that I know will like never read. Nobody will ever see it, Uh but somehow it's cathartic. Like, Uh (laughs) I don't know. It's like idolization, you know, like they're like, the person that I like pray to or like the person who I tell my deepest human struggles to Kim Kardashian (laughs) was it Kim Kardashian you spilled your guts to I don't remember who it was I just know I've done that in the past (laughs) would you want to be famous no no I would not handle it well I know I would just like I don't know probably like dissociate like 24 7 and like mm-hmm. just be like paralyzed and also I'm like I have like intense social anxiety so like me like any kind of like a tv show would be a complete train wreck mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> wouldn't be good that's why we write poetry, right? Yep. No chance <laughs> of fame. No chance of fame or illusory wealth. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, like I'd met, uh, I was thinking about this recently at this time, I met Ann Carson. And like, I'll tell that to someone that I actually got to stand in front of her and say a couple words to her. And some people are like, amazed but that's like 0.1 percent of people that i would tell that to and is like one of the biggest names in poetry right yeah yeah no i definitely have poets like that too where like i definitely feel like lisa robertson i'm a huge lisa stan if i like 
met her, I feel like I would be like, oh my God, you're so cool. You're so smart. Just like completely fangirl. But Ann Carson's also one of those ones for me where I would just like, be like, oh shit, there she is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was like seeing a rare bird. Yeah, I bet. It was like seeing a flamingo walk through the room. Yeah, like hold up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who are you influenced right? Who, sorry, who are you influenced by right now? Who are you, who you're reading? Who are you liking? Hmm. Um, I mean, I just finished reading show by Douglas Kearney, um, which was really good. Um, what other books have I been like into lately? I don't know. Now that I'm like trying to think of some, I'm like blinking. <laughs> Always happens, but. Are you writing right now? Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know. I've been like writing more stuff. Like well, I'm back in Prince George now after like living in Kelowna for the past like four years. Um, and so my poetry has kind of taken more of a turn from thinking about computers to like thinking about like monster trucks which I'm like really loving um I don't know I'm super into that right now like Prince George is like a small kind of or smallish like industry city um was basically like built around a couple of mills in town um and the like thing here is like these like massive trucks and they always just like tailgate me when I'm driving and make me feel like very like oh I'm just like a little mouse but I like kind of love it at the same time like I'm like I don't know something's going on with the trucks in my brain I'm just like feeling it yeah 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 <laughs> maybe I've been here for too long I've only been back like six months but it's already too long and I'm just like whoa look at that truck like I was like fantasizing the other day about like I don't know like calling a trucking company like in town and not like like a semi truck you know and I just want to like sit on it like just get on top of it mm -hmm. I don't know I probably sound fucking nuts right now no no <laughs> Um, but wait, when you say you're writing about monster trucks, do you mean like monster trucks, monster trucks, or do you mean like trucks that are monsters? Oh, um, I mean, I would say the trucks in my work are usually not monsters, but they might be monster trucks. Mm. <laughs> I have this weird thing with like, yeah like trucks in Prince George will like see them and I'll like think they look like animals like cows or like horses or something and I like kind of like can't help but like just have like human emotions towards them I feel like I do that with a lot of my technology just technology in general where I'm just always kind of like oh look at that truck <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really weird. And how does it, uh, I don't know how much you can speak on this, but how does that find its way into your poetics? 
Like, is this a, hmm, I don't even know how to frame this question. Um, <laughs> you can just speak to that first. Yeah, I mean, like I'll write poems where it's like taking place in like a car and they're like driving and it's like using a lot of the kind of like print storage lingo, which is basically just like saying like fuck and rat bag like 12 times. Um, yeah. Or I'll write poems where like the truck is like a character. Okay. I don't want to go too far with this truck thing. Cause I promise the only thing I'm not writing <laughs> or I'm writing about is, is not trucks, but they are very interesting. Um, so the truck will be like a character sometimes, or like just kind of in the like world of the poem. Yeah. <laughs> is there any sort of hmm, again i'm not really sure <clears throat> how to frame a lot of my questions around this is there any sort of um like tradition you're writing in right now um i don't know i mean it's interesting because like a lot of poets in this area are kind of like nature poety where they write a lot about the environment and um yeah like going out into nature and having these kind of like sublime experiences and drawing massive amounts of meaning from the natural natural world <laughs> um and I think that that's not always a fair representation of like the place where I currently live just in that like our environment here is by and large like mechanical and it's like people choose not to see that and create this kind of I guess like representation of British Columbia interior British Columbia as this kind of like I don't know, pristine wilderness situation just feels very off base. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I see that a lot. And I don't know, it feels like something to kind of like push back against or like just be like, hey, you're missing this. You didn't see the truck <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean, I think. Because, like, do, do you like living in BC? Um, I do and I don't. I've, like, lived in BC almost my entire life. Um, and, like, of course it's beautiful, but, like, there is so much, like, violence and racism and, like, ecological disaster like like in this place and I think it just frustrates me a lot of the time that like when people talk about British Columbia it's kind of in this like oh it's such a beautiful landscape or like I don't know like not really talking about it but talking about it at the same time uh -huh. um yeah 
And also it's really freaking expensive here and I don't like that, but that's kind of another situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's kind of- I don't know if it's like this in Montreal, but I mean, it probably is, but yeah. yeah, like I, part of the reason I ended up like leaving Kelowna was that I like literally could not afford to like live anywhere. It was just like beyond expensive and- I just feel like slowly, like all the people who've been here for a while are going to like end up moving to like Alberta or something because it's so much cheaper there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of everywhere right now, right? Like, <clears throat> yeah. Especially in Canada, where housing prices have gone up more than anywhere else in the world in the last like 10 years. Um, and. <laughs> Sorry. I just said it's like so scary. And then I like think about the future and I'm like, I'm like never gonna like live anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's a hundred percent something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, especially and again, I don't want to get yeah. too off topic because this is supposed to be like we don't have to talk about writing too much, but we'll we'll draw it back. But especially living in Quebec, okay. where a lot of like language laws are being passed and like uh, like as an Anglophone living in a Francophone province, which will probably mm -hmm. just become its own country in the next like 10 years. Uh, like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. The rest of Canada is too expensive and like it's very difficult, especially as you get older, to get a visa to live anywhere else. And yeah, it's pretty, it feels pretty bleak right now. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's how we can tie it back in, I guess, to anything to do with writing. When do you find time to write? Because you work a full-time job now, right? I do, yeah. I usually write in the morning. Um, so I'll, like, wake up do like an hour and a half of like poetry or whatever project I'm like working on and then I'll start work because if I wait until after I just like especially with copywriting because your brain is just basically like churning out like language all day for that um <clears throat> I've like tried writing after and it like never works <laughs> mm -hmm. Or so if it, if I do like get anything down, it's all very like, I don't know, like too marketing language yeah. <laughs> or like just like has that vibe. I don't know. Maybe it's just like me looking at it, but. So how early then do you get up to write? Um, lately I've been getting up like I don't know like at 5 30 which is like quite early for me part of it is that I have like a dog who likes to like step on my face in the morning um and so she'll like get me up and then I'm just like okay whatever I'll just like get up now at least I'll have like more time to like work on writing stuff um but yeah it's like a long a long day it's a lot of just like sitting in one spot and like mm -hmm. I don't know, just like thinking. <laughs> What's your relationship to inspiration? Um, I feel like a lot of the inspiration I get like isn't from like 
poetry. I like watching like movies to get like kind of in the mood to like create something. Um, yeah, I guess I source a lot of my inspiration like online as well. Mm. Um, I definitely live a very like interior kind of life just in that like don't really go out very often. I don't do a lot of exciting things. My life from the outside probably looks like horrendously boring. <laughs> and so it's just like, I don't know, like I don't really have a ton of experiences that I feel like I need to put this down in poetry, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and plus I can just download like a Sophia Coppola movie for free and <laughs> write a poem using it like I don't know it's just it works for me so what is the draw toward poetry toward writing poetry um I think part of it comes from like the fact I just like lose interest in things like really really quickly um so I've like tried writing like short stories before and I've written a few kind of like lyrical essays um but yeah generally like I want to think about something for like a couple of hours and then not think about it and like I just kind of I don't know I guess I just don't really have the follow-through or like want to have the follow-through to like write in another form and also poetry is just like I feel like it's the most just like condensed emotional experience um I remember like I didn't really start reading poetry until I was maybe like 18 or 19 and when I started kind of reading some of the first poems I came across I was like like, I don't know, it was wild. I just like felt so much about it. And I don't really feel that much about a lot of things. <laughs> so it was kind of like, oh my God, like, yeah, it was just like the most interesting thing to me. Cause when you look at a poem, sometimes I'll just like stare at like a poem on a page and just be like, wow, this is like nothing. This is just like little like marks or whatever mm -hmm. on a piece of paper and then the fact that it can like just do so much to you internally and even like you know affect how you feel in your body affect how you perceive the world around you like that was like just freaking wild to me and I was like whoa I need to like play around with this yeah have you ever had that connection with say painting or drawing um there was like a time where I was like into drawing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't maybe like when I was into drawing, I was like a bit younger. And so I didn't really practice. Like I didn't turn it into something that I like did on like a daily basis. And it just like couldn't sustain that kind of like interest in it. Right. But it seems like easier with poetry where it's just like, you know, you'll think you'll understand how to do something or you think you understand how something works. And then you see like a new poem that just like blows your mind and you're like, holy shit, how'd they do that? So it's kind of like this bottomless thing where it's like 
there's you can't get to like a hundred percent with it like you never like fully understand it Mm -hmm. and you just want to like keep going even though you know it's like impossible Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because I guess that's just sort of a that's a general question I think I have for almost any anyone who writes poetry or considers themselves a poet is why this art form over any other because I have my answers but it's like yeah I don't understand why anybody would be drawn to this art form Oh, it's like so dumb, honestly. I'm like, I wish that I was like really into writing like books or short stories or really anything else. I wish I was like really into math or like, I don't know, (laughs) but just, yeah, there's something like poetry satisfies, I think my kind of more like mathy side of my brain maybe just in that like it has that component of like um yeah like measuring like lines like and I don't know like thinking about how like just like weird pieces of language like add up Mm -hmm. and then it also has that like just like vibey side where you could like think about making somebody like feel something and like use what tools you have at your disposal to like recreate something that you felt like I don't know it's just like it'll I don't think it'll ever stop being really interesting to me but we'll see TBD (laughs) 